Well, we're doing this series in John, uh, Jesus in John, hallelujah, let me just say, how good is John's gospel, getting stuff out of it? I'm, wow, it's, I'm getting a lot out of it. Last week we looked at Jesus' trial before Pilate and the crucifixion, amazing, dramatic, incredible stuff, we'll come back to that tonight at the end. <clears throat> But tonight I want to look at the theme of the Spirit. <laughs> so the purpose here is to really look at all that Jesus says about the Spirit tonight. So that's pretty cool. Um, and it's, John's so creative. It starts with a few little hints here and there and, and it builds and builds and builds and then bam, this huge crescendo of Jesus talking about the Spirit just before he dies. And we get the, the fullest explanation of the Spirit that we have in any of the Gospels. So on the basis of this, it gives us a really good foundation for sharpening our focus at SOMA and understanding what the role of the Spirit is in our lives. So a bit of a journey tonight, if you, if you will, and if you could just go with it, it'll build. Um, the, the Scriptures will interpret themselves as we read on through the whole thing. And in the weeks to come, I want to unpack what that's going to mean for us. So, so there'll be other times when we'll pull it apart and understand what it means for us here at Soma. But tonight, <clears throat> let's just allow Jesus to take us on a journey. Uh, wow, what an ex- ex- extraordinary journey it is. Chapter 1, John the Baptist says, Having seen the Spirit descend on Jesus like a dove, John the Baptist says, He is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't read this before, and if you know nothing about Christianity, you'd be going, what on earth is this? Baptism in the Spirit. My goodness. And so therefore we read on and listen to what Jesus says. So chapter 3, verse 5 following, there's this conversation with Nicodemus about being born again. Being born of water and the Spirit. Verse 6, flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Something can happen to people. We can be born into the world of the Spirit and the very living presence of God can come into our lives and transform us. And Nicodemus says, does that mean we have to climb back into our mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus says, firstly, gross. And secondly, secondly, who put you in charge? Uh, Because Nicodemus is a leader of Israel. But I'm with Nicodemus. If I was hearing this for the first time, I'd be going, what are you talking about? Being born again? Born of the Spirit? And Jesus then changes the topic to talking about wind, verse 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. The Greek word for spirit and wind is the same word. So the Spirit blows wherever it wants. And you hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now this reminds me very much of Ezekiel chapter 37. And I think Jesus is really referring to Ezekiel 37, the prophet Ezekiel, back in the Old Testament scriptures, where Ezekiel saw this vision of a valley of dry bones. The Spirit of God comes like the four winds. And people start coming alive and standing on their feet. And there's the rattling of bones. And bones come together and sinews and flesh and skin 
All are reconstituted and there are these people come alive again. And finally their spirit is breathed into them. Now I think this is what Jesus has on view. Jesus is saying that great day that Ezekiel prophesied is now here. People are going to be made alive again. <laughs> New life will come. People will be reconstituted. And he's saying, like the wind, the Spirit is powerful, the Spirit is on the move, and the Spirit is unpredictable. The Spirit moves, we do not know where. That's one of the glorious things about living in the kingdom of God, that in many important ways we become more different from one another in the way that the Spirit reconstitutes us to be individuals. And we become more truly ourselves. And in the resurrection, we'll be more like ourselves than ever before. Now the hellish, demonic, is to make everyone the same. But the Spirit makes us more different from each other to reflect different aspects of God's glory so that we shimmer and glitter in different ways. That's what the Spirit is going to be doing. Bringing people to life again and becoming who they were always created to be. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about longing to put on a new body and that new body will be a glorious body. And again, our true selves will be seen there. We will become who we truly are and that's the creative, different work of the Spirit, not predictable, not boring, incredibly creative. The Spirit's going to move and recreate the creation, put people back together. Then at the end of chapter 3, verse 34, again this flicker of something. The one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God's, God gives the Spirit without limit. Without limit. So this is about, yeah, reconstituting people, people coming alive, people being born again into a whole new reality. It's powerful, it's unpredictable, and now he says it's without limit. <laughs> like the Spirit, it's not a little bit. When you get the Spirit, you get the Spirit. When the Spirit is on the move, the Spirit is on the move. You know, It is without limit. God is doing something huge. And the freedom of the Spirit to roam is incredible. I mean, the Spirit will do incredible things. Just look in the Acts of the Apostles. Wow! <laughs> All the things that happened to the people of God, things they would never imagined, start happening. Their lives are changed. I don't, know about you but I wonder whether you know Peter and Paul and Philip and all those guys got glimpses of themselves in the mirror sometimes and thought whoa what have I become I'm now a world leader I'm traveling the world we're shaking the foundations of the Roman Empire you know great things have happened we could have been you know quiet people in a property in Galilee farmers but no God has done this great thing so this is the, the, the life that the Spirit will bring. And we need to remember that because things are going to get hard, they're going to get tough, and we'll see that as we go. Then we come to chapter 7, which is one of the most striking passages about the Spirit, where suddenly out of the blue, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem to the Feast of Tabernacles, which he is fulfilling and transcending. The Tabernacles was the celebration in, in Israel of the journey of Israel in the wilderness. And one of the stories was that Moses struck the stone and the water gushed out <laughs> of the rock. You remember that story in the desert. And so as part of the Feast of Tabernacles, they would pour water out 
as a sign of God pouring water out to provide for Israel in the desert. And Jesus goes up to Jerusalem and he literally, well, he isn't going to go, then he does go. And people are going, whoa, who is he? Is he the Messiah? We've never heard anyone say the things he says like this. And then verse 37, on the last day of the festival, the great day, he says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. My goodness. I will give you, he says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, Livers, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And I have come to fulfill and transcend the Feast of Tabernacles. Now he says, as scripture has said, what is he talking about? Commentators sweat blood trying to figure this out. There's no place in the Old Testament that says it exactly this way. But there is that incredible, mysterious passage at the end of Ezekiel where when the temple in Ezekiel's vision is finally rebuilt. The river of the water of life will flow from the temple. Now this is also Eden stuff, with the rivers flowing out of Eden into the whole world. Well, here in Ezekiel 47, the river of the water of life flows out of the temple all the way down the hill and makes the Dead Sea fresh. And there'll be fishermen again in the Dead Sea. Anyone been to the Dead Sea? Completely dead, right? Absolutely dead. Salt, nothing can grow, nothing can be there. And this prophecy of, I, of Ezekiel is saying, living water will flow out of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's up on the hill. It's up here. So it's way above the Dead Sea, 500 metres below sea level. And this rivers of water will flow. And it's a metaphor for the dead will be made alive. Crazy stuff. And then in verse 39, by this he meant the Spirit, uh, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up till that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Spirit hasn't been given yet, because Jesus has not yet been glorified. What's the logic of that? The logic is that until Jesus has been glorified, until the temple which is Jesus has been filled to overflowing with the glory of God, which is the love of God, which happens on the cross. But the love of God fills Jesus on the cross. Until that has happened, these people who are believing in Jesus, clinging onto him, cannot have the Spirit themselves. Because only through the work of Jesus on the cross will they be able to be a temple themselves of the Spirit. And for the Spirit to dwell in them and flow out from them. Until Jesus is glorified on the cross, they aren't ready to receive the Spirit. But notice what he says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And we think, yeah, please, we want to drink of the water of life. We are dry, we are thirsty. But then he says, Whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow into their heart. No, he doesn't say that. Rivers of living water will flow out from them. So we don't drink for ourselves. It's not a stagnant lake that we become simply taking in the water of life. Rather, we, the water of life flows through us to others. The Spirit is God's gift 
not just to the church, but through the church to the world. This is the driving energy of Christian mission. The one who believes in me, as the scripture says, it's going to be like Dead Sea becoming fresh again. Who? Well, think of the bits of Dead Sea around you and around our church, around our neighbourhoods, around our streets. Where is it the Dead Sea? And what would it be like if that became fresh and alive again? I think we ought to be praying for that and thinking through... We have been thinking through how to, how, to, how to be part of that, but let's keep thinking. How can, that, how can everything around us be fresh again? So what is being baptised in the Spirit and born again in the Spirit all about, you tell me? According to Jesus and what he said. Yeah, fulfillment of Jesus' glorification. Yeah. 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 Flooding the world. Flooding his people so that his love floods the world. The baptism in the Spirit means to become part of that. To be born again in the Spirit is to become part of that whole thing. Yeah. So we think too individualistically. Oh, I'm baptised in the Spirit. No, but this is a whole big agenda here of the creation being made new and Jesus being glorified through that and his presence filling the earth and we get to be part of that. And what is that going to look like? Well, let's read on. In the farewell discourse, which is Jesus' last time with his disciples, and we love this as the church, we love these chapters, chapters 13 to 17. We keep going back and back and back. They only appear in John. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful part of the Bible. Jesus talking to his disciples before he departs. This extended, lovely time. What does he say? about the spirit well it starts friendly and ends very disturbing so in the middle of chapter 14 if you love me keep my commands and i will ask the father and he will give you another advocate the word advocate is going to be a key word throughout this whole section now it means like an advocate in a court to plead someone's cause because they don't have the skill to plead themselves So to take up someone's cause and plead it. That's what an advocate is. Jesus will send another advocate. Also, it's the idea of a comforter in the sense that this this advocate will give us strength. The Spirit comes and we find that we get the strength to carry on even though it doesn't look like we can. And this Spirit, we're told, verse 17, is the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him. And just as Jesus tried to tell Pilate the truth and Pilate said, what is truth? So the world cannot accept the spirit of truth because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he lives with you and will live in you. 
So this is an amazing passage and it's like, wow, cool. There's going to be this comforter. He's going to be with us and help us. But it's not just that, is it? Because then Jesus goes on to say, verse 26, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. My goodness, I, didn't, I wasn't thinking I was going to be afraid. But clearly there's now a shadow rising over what Jesus is saying. I told you now before it happens. Verse 30, I will not say much more to you for the prince or the ruler of this world is coming and he has no hold over me. But I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me to do. In other words, I'm going to put myself under the power of the dark one because that's the way it has to be. That's my Father's will. So the world will know that I love the Father. And then he says, come now, let us leave. So at the end of chapter 14, he's warning us of something that is coming. So this situation about the, the Spirit coming as the advocate, it's not just for our own spiritual life, but rather that we will be able to implement Jesus' victory over the ruler of this world. How's that going to work? Well, chapter 15, verse 26, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. The context of this is earlier in chapter 15, the world's going to hate you. And it would be very easy... Um, for us to develop a victim mentality in the face of the hatred of certain elements in the world. And he says earlier in chapter 15, yeah, the light comes into the world, the darkness wants to quench it. And we've come to Jesus now where to bear that light, where to, where to say that truth, and the world will try to, try to quench it. The darkness will try to overcome the light. So this giving of the Spirit is not just for our spiritual experience, as amazing as that is, but rather it's going to help us be light in a world which does not always receive the light. And we will be hated. And we will be targeted. There will be misunderstanding. There will be opposition, misrepresentation, sneering, scoffing and even stoning. So when the Advocate comes, he will testify and we will testify. So it's one of those, both things happen together. He will testify and we will testify. And we won't be able to do it without his comfort, encouragement and strength. He will be the Advocate through us as we advocate. We will bear witness. And he will strengthen us to do that in a world which often will oppose us. And so when we get into chapter 16, verse 1, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. You won't give up. And they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that they're offering a service to God. 
probably need to say that sometimes when people reject us, it's because we're obnoxious, not because we're <laughs> doing the right thing. It's easy to justify ourselves sometimes. However, there will be those who don't know the Father and any mention of the true God, they're going to see that as bad news and they're going to make it hard for us. There are going to be attacks on many levels. Those attacks will happen. Especially if we're really announcing the Word of God and really engaging with preaching and teaching and proclaiming the death and resurrection of Christ, the Lordship of Christ. And if we're really engaging in prayer with that, really intentionally wanting to get that message out, really planning and acting for that cause, if we're really going for it, we will experience opposition. I discovered this when I was quite young, when I was targeted and humiliated as a young Christian growing up. And it's been the case again and again through, throughout my life. When we take on this challenge, and I haven't always, but when we really engage <laughs> with what's being said here, trust the Spirit's strength, step forward and boldly proclaim the gospel intentionally with planning and over time, we will experience opposition. Crazy things will happen. Um, all kinds of things will go wrong. People will stand up that you didn't expect and get in your way. And We shouldn't talk about spiritual warfare lightly, but this is where the spiritual warfare is when we really do engage with what we're being told to do here, there will be opposition. But the Spirit is the Spirit of life. The Spirit is going to renew the whole creation. The Spirit has the power of God. The Spirit is moving through the world. The Spirit will advocate through us. The Spirit will give us the words to speak. Be encouraged. I say this so that you will not fall away. And look there at chapter 16, verse 5. I'm going away and you're sad, but it's for your good because unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And what's the Spirit going to do? Well, then we come to verses 8 to 11. Uh, a dense and strange little passage, which is the key, I think, to it all. And this is where we'll finish. Verse 8, when he comes... How will he advocate? How will this world come alive and be recreated? What will happen? What will the Spirit do? He will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. What does this mean? He will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin because people do not believe in me. Believing in Jesus now is the great dividing line. There are thousands of different sins Ten Commandments and a lot else. But ultimately, when the light now has come into the world, the ultimate sin is to reject the light and to say, that's not for me. And people who glimpse the light and say no and turn away, they are turning away from God and turning towards an idol, which they will then worship in place of God. And that idol will appeal to their pride. That's how it works. But the Spirit will convict people and convince people that the idol is an idol, but Jesus is the ultimate true light. And if you turn from him, you are turning from God. 
The Spirit will convict people of that. The Spirit will also prove to the world that the world is in the wrong about righteousness. What does this mean? Well, he goes on and says, because I am going to the Father where you will see me no longer. Righteousness means who is in the right. The Spirit will show to the world that Jesus is in the right. He is the righteous one. He has been vindicated. He is going to the Father where he will be exalted as Lord over the world. Going to the Father doesn't mean he's going a long way away, of course. And his ascension to the Father is not going somewhere else. He's here. He's walking among us tonight. And he is ruling. He is now. In going to the Father means he's been vindicated. He is now in charge of this world. His kingdom is now here. He is in the right. And sometimes I think we don't think Jesus is really running the show because we see his kingdom is like he's the CEO and he's putting down all these orders and everyone's got to obey. But Jesus' version of the kingdom is he pours out his spirit on his people so that we testify to him. That's his kingdom. And so the ascension means Jesus, the resurrection and the ascension means the fact that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father means he is right. <laughs> he is the right one. Um, and the Spirit will prove to the world that he is in the right. And much of John is like this extended court scene. Charges are brought against Jesus. By what authority do you say these things? How dare you do this and this and this? And again and again, people confront Jesus and say, you're blaspheming. And it builds up until the scene before Pilate that we looked at last week. Again, the charges come. And the resurrection then is God's vindication. And the Spirit will prove to the world <laughs> that Jesus is the righteous one. And then finally about judgment, because the prince of this world, the ruler of this world, now stands condemned. The powers of darkness have been defeated through the cross. And the Spirit will show the world that the principalities and powers, whether they are this worldly governments aligned against Christ or whether we're talking about the demonic world, the Spirit will show that that has been defeated. So this is what we're told about the Spirit's work in John's Gospel. New life, <laughs> new creation, people reconstituted, a powerful work of the Spirit, Un not predictable. We can't box the Spirit in without limit. Extraordinary. The, 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 the rivers of living water flowing into the Dead Sea to make it alive again. How does that happen as we testify to Jesus Christ and the Spirit through us proves to the world that Jesus is Lord? And I, I always used to think, yeah, the Spirit does all these things and we kind of stand on the sidelines and cheer the Spirit on. <laughs> Great, the Spirit's going to convict the world of all these things. He's going to move through the world. But clearly Jesus is saying it's going to be as we testify, as we bear witness, 
the Spirit will be right there with us, making that powerful and effective so that the world can see that Jesus is indeed Lord. And this means that we will live our lives, we will have our own versions of John 18 and 19, where Jesus is before Pilate. We'll have those similar scenarios. We will be before others who will say, what is truth? We will be opposed and have to give an answer. We will be confronted with power, which will condemn us in some way or other. The powers that be, often we will stand before. And like Jesus, we are to speak up and the Spirit will speak through us at that moment. I suggest as we close, uh, an exercise might be for live groups to actually work your way through John 18 and 19 to see how Jesus stands before Pilate because I think that's actually a model of how we're meant to stand before the world and declare what is true. Have a look at that. We might say that in the Western church we've perhaps lost our nerve a bit with speaking up in public. We've taken a step aside from public discourse, political discourse. We're not in there arguing and declaring perhaps as we once were. And perhaps we're quenching the spirit because the spirit's key role is through the church to declare to the powers of this world and to this world in general that Jesus is Lord. Another reason I think we have perhaps lost our nerve is we've lost a sense of how to do it. <laughs> and it's hard. And I think we need to look again at how does Jesus do it. So in these next weeks, can we look at... Um, can we go through those other slides there? We'll come back to Peter Rowlands. So in John, Tim's going to be here. We're going to do stories of what is happening around the world. So that's going to be exciting to be encouraged. But then signs of glory, seeds of hope, as we actually look at how Jesus, how he brings the truth. Um, signs of glory, seeds of hope. I think we can learn a lot from that that will really encourage us that there are, is a lot that we can do that we perhaps haven't thought through enough. And then the Good Shepherd looking at the primacy of love. As we stand before the authorities of this world, we need to realise that our true authority is to lay down our lives for others, as Jesus did. And then to come back, okay, what does it mean to be sent by Jesus into the world? Then the next series is going to be Reconstructing Hope and Really trying to, I'm trying to really unpack why are we not? Why are we discouraged? What are those things that we need to sort of deal with and work through to be reignited as, as the church across the world? So that's where we're going in this series. Now I'm going to give you a chance to, oh, I wanted to mention Peter Rowlands. Can we go back to Peter? And he's a really cool guy in some ways, because he thinks of different ways we can engage with the world. One of them is he has something called the Evangelism Project, where he sends out teams of Christians to be evangelised by other religions. 
It's really cool. So, or atheists. So he'll send teams of people, go out, it's time to be evangelized by them. <laughs> and I think that's a really cool thing to do in a postmodern context because it changes everything, doesn't it? It turns it all on its head and suddenly it opens up a space uh, for honest dialogue with the different people in the world. Do you like that? I think that's really interesting way to do it. So I think that's more like what Jesus does with Pilate. He's really interesting in the way, his humility, his love. How does he bring the truth in that moment before Pilate? He doesn't come out with all guns blazing, not at all. Yeah. Um, so you, what, how cool would it be so, you got a bunch, so your live group went to uh, an Islamic mosque or, or a Hindu group or a Buddhist group or an atheist group and you went there to allow them to evangelize you. That is, to convince you of their truth. Yeah. Oh, the point is it, it's a postmodern context. Uh, it, 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 it flips everything on its head and opens up a space for real dialogue. It's disarming. When people are listened to like that, it opens up a new space. So this is a guy from Belfast. So it's a very hot context, you know, and it's something that breaks through some of the barriers. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's only one little idea of many thousands that we could consider doing. Yeah, Wendy. I just want to say, I'm talking about spiritual. Yeah, yeah. And you go, I believe that this is the Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think there's stuff we can learn there about how Jesus works with people. Right the way through John's Gospel. So we'll come back and we'll look at this. This was just to throw something out to give you an idea of there are, there are some things we need to, to think through more deeply. Yeah. Any other comments? Something that was new? Something was motivating? Other questions? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. But they will really see him. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, nice. And from that, I, I think we ought to be praying that, you know, if we have trouble really seeing the reality of the risen Lord, Christ, who is the sovereign Lord of the universe now, that we pray that the Spirit would open our eyes to that reality. Because that is what it's all about. Jesus is that one. 
I think we've, our time is gone. I love to keep talking. Uh, we're going to come back to this stuff. It's not the end. I'm, I'm trying to build here. And then we've got an even another series coming up in October where, where, where we'll keep sort of unpacking and going forward with this stuff. And Matt's going to come and pray.